0: there, podcast friends. Greetings. Welcome to Wisdom from Above, where we go beyond the reasoning of man to the revelation of God. My name is Dr. Harlan Betts, and the focus of this eighth season of Wisdom from Above is an intensive look at the most famous book of prophecy, the book of Revelation which is found in the most famous and most published book of all time, the perennial bestseller, The Holy Bible. The book of Revelation predicts the disappearance of the church, the judgments of the tribulation, and the second coming of Christ. The beloved Apostle John, in obedience to his Lord, has recorded things past in chapter 1, The Vision of Christ things present in chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches, things prophetic in chapters 4 through 22. The future is laid out in order. First will be the tribulation, next will be the second coming of Christ, then will come the millennial reign of Christ, and finally will be the eternal new heaven of and the eternal new earth. We are presently looking at the prophetic section, which deals with the seven-year tribulation. Today's episode will discover more about the 144,000, and we will learn about the grapes of wrath. Dwayne Werple tells the following story. I was speaking at a women's organization, and they asked if I would mind standing in a reception line following the meeting. The program chairperson was quite persuasive, so I agreed to do so. The speech must have gone well, because the ladies coming through the line were saying nice things to me, and smiling as they shook my hand. Pretty soon I noticed a little boy standing in front of me. He looked straight at me and said, Your speech stunk. Well, there were more ladies coming through the line, so I just ignored him. But a little while later, he came through the line a second time. Again, he placed himself directly in front of me and said, We all heard your joke before, and they weren't even funny. That bothered me a bit, but there were still people in line, so I continued shaking hands and greeting the ladies. Then I noticed this young boy was in line for the third time. He got up to me this time, and he said, You'll never be invited back here again. At this point, I really didn't know what to do. I figured he was too little to hit, and I was too big to cry, so I shrugged it off as an occupational hazard and continued greeting the ladies. Wouldn't you know it, a little while later, I noticed out of the corner of my eye, this little bratty kid was in line for the fourth time. At this point, his mother must have noticed him too, because she came running over to me, leaned over my shoulder and said, Oh, that's my son, Billy. Please don't pay any attention to him. He's only five years old. You know, he's at that age where he just repeats whatever he hears. (laughs) Well, I'm sure there are times when some of you might wish little Billy would speak to me. You've been so willing to hear my verbal miscues, my awkward pauses, my corny stories, and my dad jokes. I am grateful for your love, your support, your prayers, and your desire to listen to these Wisdom from Above podcasts. Today we're looking at Revelation chapter 14. It begins in verses 1-5 through with the preservation, where it talks about the 144,000 being preserved. <clears throat> then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of a loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. What a picture! Jesus, the Lamb of God, is on Mount Zion, which is a reference to Jerusalem. And the 144,000 are there with Him. Who are the 144,000? Well, we know the answer. We were introduced to the 144,000 in Revelation chapter 7. There we discovered that God is going to miraculously save and seal 144,000 Jews at the very beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. There are 12,000 from each of 12 tribes of Israel. These 144,000 will serve as evangelists throughout the tribulation period. Now back to chapter 14. You've heard of a flashback. Well, this is a flash forward. This passage presents a picture of the 144,000 at the end of the tribulation period. Chapter 7 pictured them at the beginning where they were saved and sealed with the mark of God on their forehead. This passage pictures them at the end, where they have been preserved throughout the seven year period of the tribulation. Their ministries are concluded. They're with the Lamb who's standing on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Thousands of believers will be martyred in the last half of the tribulation. But the 144,000 will all survive. This passage tells us a couple of things about them. They are characterized by unstained purity. This is a controversial verse. It says, These are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Hopefully, you know, the marriage bed is unstained and pure. Hebrews 13.4 Therefore, this phrase, the ones who were not defiled with women, cannot mean that they never married, And it cannot mean they never had sex with a woman. What John is saying is that these 144,000 were not defiled by immoral sexual relationships with women. And the proof of their sexual purity in this case is that they were still virgins. During the tribulation these 144,000 are traveling evangelists. The time and energy required for their ministry would make it extremely difficult for them to be a loving husband and a devoted father. These 144,000 were not defiled by sexual fornication. This phrase could also mean that these 144,000 were not defiled by any spiritual fornication with the scarlet woman of religious Babylon. They were characterized by unstained purity, They were also characterized by unreserved loyalty. It says, they followed the Lamb. The Lamb is clearly a reference to Jesus, the Lamb of God, as we saw earlier in Revelation chapter 5. These 144,000 stood firm in their faith. They did what Jesus asked them to do. They were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, they glorified God with their bodies. They were the first fruits in that they were the first people saved during the tribulation. There was no falsehood in their talk. There was no fault in their walk. Oh, I wish that could be said of us. The 144,000 are singing a new and unique song that reflected what happened to them during this tribulation period. They have experienced God's gracious salvation and God's loving protection in a unique way. And they are singing about it. So we see the pr- preservation in 1-5. Now in verses 6-7 we see the proclamation. The gospel is proclaimed by angel number 1. I saw an angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. We see, first of all, this angel in the midst of heaven and the gospel is being proclaimed. Is this a different gospel than that which was proclaimed in the New Testament church? Absolutely not. There is only one gospel. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Galatians warns against anyone, even an angel that would come presenting a different gospel. Oh sure, the gospel comes out of bad news. The bad news is that all have sinned and all deserve spiritual death, and God's wrath is going to be poured out on sin. But the gospel is good news. The good news is that Jesus died in our place, and paid for our sins, and rose from the dead. And all we have to do is place our faith in Him. God uses the 144,000 Jewish evangelists to declare this gospel. He uses the believers who have come to know Christ during the tribulation to share the gospel. He uses the two extraordinary witnesses to show the gospel. And now we see that he even uses an angel to show the good news of the gospel. There's another evidence of God's grace. Excuse me. This is another evidence of God's grace and reaching out to the lost before they would be doomed forever. This seemed to be like the last call before the return of Christ. The last call before the final holocaust of the battle of Armageddon. The recipients are people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. There will be some who will come to Christ during the tribulation. And the revelation is very simple. Fear God. That's the beginning of wisdom. Give Him glory. Give Him glory because He loved us. Because He sent His Son because he, he offers us eternal life as a free gift. Worship him as, as the creator, as God. They should fear God, not the Antichrist. They should worship God, not the Antichrist. Then we see the destruction in verse 8. Destruction is declared by angel number 2. And another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Babylon is the headquarters of the Antichrist. We read about this in chapter 16, verse 19. The fall of religious Babylon is described in chapter 17. This one world harlot religion will fall. And the fall of commercial Babylon Will be detailed in chapter 18, where the one world evil government falls. In this flash forward, both religious and political Babylon have fallen. And so he says it twice Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Religious Babylon has fallen, and commercial Babylon has fallen. The one world religion has fallen, the one world government has fallen. That's a flash forward. We'll discuss those more when we get to those two chapters. Then we read the damnation being announced by the angel number three. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice If anyone worships the beast and his image, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength in the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image, who receives the mark of his name. So we see that the beast worshippers, the Antichrist worshippers, are damned. The reason for their punishment? Rejecting Christ. Instead of receiving Christ and worshiping him, they reject Christ. They worship the Antichrist. They take his mark. The nature of their punishment, the cup of God's wrath and the wine of God's fury. This reminds me of the truths found in Romans chapter 1. Remember these verses? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Their foolish hearts are darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They are without excuse. They'll face a hopeless end. They will be tormented in fire and brimstone. This is a reference to the lake of fire. We often use the term hell. The extent of their punishment, forever and ever, eternally. No rest day and night. Wow, wow. This is serious stuff. There are only two options. And the difference is a matter of life and death. It is either eternal life or eternal hell. Hell is not just suffering the consequence of your sin here on earth. Hell is not just some bad experiences here on earth. Hell is a literal place. Hell is an eternal place called the lake of fire. But remember, hell was not prepared for people. The lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his demons. Jesus made that crystal clear. Jesus also made it clear that he is preparing a place for believers in heaven. Only those people who refuse to trust in Jesus will go to hell. Then we find an exhortation in verses 12 and 13. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. So the saints are both challenged and comforted. And I believe he's referring especially here to the tribulation saints. First, they're challenged to keep the commands and faith of Jesus because there will be a tremendous temptation to grow weary or to give up. Second, they're reminded that the death of God's children is blessed. Those who've trusted in Christ, though they die physically, continue to live spiritually and they will rest from their labors and they'll be rewarded for their work. Then we see the harvest of the sun in verses 14 to 16 and the call of the angel number four. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and on the cloud sat one like the son of man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. So these verses are revealing the harvest of the son of man The Son of Man is Jesus. We know this from Revelation 1, 13-18. He has a golden crown. He has a sharp sickle. And this fourth angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he sat on the cloud, thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And the harvest, we know from Matthew 13, will be mixed. There will be wheat and tares. Believers and unbelievers. This vision concludes in verses 17-20 to with the harvest of the angels. Then another angel, number 5, comes out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also has a sharp sickle. And another angel, angel number 6, Comes out from the altar and has power over fire. And he cried out with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it in the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a thousand six hundred furlongs. So these are also harvesters. Angel five from the temple with a sharp sickle. Angel six from the altar with the power over fire. And the harvest is clearly a harvest of people. And here they're speaking of unrighteous people. The winepress of God's wrath culminates in the battle of Armageddon. We'll read more about it in Revelation 19. The splattering of grape juice from under the bare feet of those treading the grapes is compared to the splattering of blood from under the fury of God's wrath when He crushes the godless armies in the valley of Megiddo. It's referred to as the grapes of wrath. The blood will come up to the horse's bridles up to four feet deep, blood flowing 184 miles, all the way from Tyre in the north to Bozrah in the south. It covers basically all of Palestine. I want to highlight three specific lessons that I have learned from this passage. Number one, the 144,000 lived a godly life, and this is a great example for us. We are to live a godly life. We are to glorify God in our bodies. We are to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God. Here are a couple questions we could ask ourselves. Is there any falsehood in my talk? Any slander, gossip, or lies in my communication? Are there any faults in my walk? Any obvious failures, shortcomings, or sins? Is there any half-heartedness in my devotion to Christ? A mother in Maryland discovered her five youngest children huddled in the center of the living room on a new carpet around a family of skunks. In horror, she screamed, Run, children, run! And each kid picked up a skunk and ran. (laughs) That could be a parable of your life. You may find yourself clinging to that from which you should be running. We must commit ourselves to living a godly life. Lesson number two the gospel is to go to all. This is a great reminder to us. We are challenged to go into all the world and make disciples. A question we should ask ourselves is this Do I have a passion for those who are blinded to the truth and headed to hell? Am I helping reach the world for Christ? I cannot go everywhere. I cannot be everywhere. But I can and I must do my part in praying and giving and going. We must commit ourselves to sharing the gospel. Lesson number three, we are to worship God. This is a great challenge to us. We need to honor God and glorify God. One way to test this is to ask ourselves these questions. Do I long for God's glory more than men's applause? Am I a lover of self? A lover of money? A lover of pleasure? More than a lover of God? Do I really love Him? I saw something last week that said this. Before a man gets married, he lies awake in bed at night thinking about what his sweetheart said. After they're married, he falls asleep before she has finished saying it. (laughs) Well, I suspect some of you can identify with that. There is a continuing need for active love in marriage. And there is a continuing need for active love in our relationship with God. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of Wisdom from Above. I'm honored that you're part of my listening family. Please share this podcast with your family and friends. Share it on your social media. I look forward to meeting with you each week. This is Dr. Harlan Betts, wishing you a great week and God's blessings. Thank you for joining me in this passionate quest for wisdom from above.